The Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Sheila Zielinski Show. I broadcast weekdays, that's Monday to Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on WINB. And of course, for more ways to listen to the program, including the customized apps for all smart devices and the podcast for those of you on the go, simply go to the listen page at weekendvigilante.com. Do sign up for my free e-newsletter. I'm going to have one coming out just a few short days away. And of course, I do send e-alerts and things of that nature. So make sure you do sign up for that. And I'm really trying to build my social media numbers. So I'm asking you to like me on Twitter, Facebook. That's the Weekend Vigilante Facebook. I think my days might be numbered on my personal account. I'm on my last warning because I've never posted anything controversial. Boy, that free speech thing. Hmm. Also, do make sure you like my YouTube channel. And I just want to let people know, I tried to do a live Facebook feed yesterday, which is Sunday. Facebook live prayer. Basically, you go live, people type in whatever their issue is, you know, whether they have a physical ailment or what's going on. Pray for each individual person as they come up on the thread. And I went through a bunch of tutorials I downloaded one particular software. It still did not give me Facebook Live. So if any of you out there are listening and you know about Facebook Live and an easy way to operate, I'm operating it not from a phone, but from a Mac computer. So let me know. Some of the tutorials are not helpful. Let's put it that way. So any Facebook Live pros out there, let me know. I'll get it sorted out before next Sunday. I really do want to have a day set aside where I can take an hour or so and just pray for people in real time as it comes up there, live prayer. So I really want to do that. And as you know, I'm working with the web team on that map that I want to be adding to Power Prayers for you to find prayer partners and like-minded individuals, boots on the ground in your respective towns and cities. That is really something on my heart. And so We're hoping to be able to launch that in the very short future. I'm very excited about that, actually. And finally, I'm asking people to go to their respective bookstores. That's Christian and secular, because I'll tell you what, they are lining the shelves in secular bookstores with New Age and witchcraft books, and we need to be counteracting that. So please do get a hold of your bookstores in your area, your towns and cities, and request power prayers. Do request that and find out and let me know how you make out in your bookstores. Ingram tells me that it's just a matter of you making a phone call. So please do that. Email me and let me know how you made out. Again, that's Carla Butod and Sheila Zielinski's book, Power Prayers, Warfare That Works. Do get that into your local bookstores, especially Christian bookstores. If anything else, The Christian bookstores are now carrying a lot of crap. They're carrying a cesspool of everything. And by the way, 
if you are reading Jesus Calling by Sarah Young, you need to go back in the archives and listen to the show I did on Jesus Calling. That book is a mishmash straight from Alice Bailey's Occult Volumes. This thing is so new age. Get rid of it is what I'm telling you right now. You know, take it to the Lord, but I'm telling you that book, frightening is an understatement. How the new age is woven into that jaw dropping is what that is. And, you know, I don't have time to do this, but I would be very curious for you to phone a couple of. And when you're doing that, when you're requesting my book in, I would just be curious for you to jot down, say, three of the best sellers or go to your local Christian bookstore and and ask which are the best sellers. I'd be very interested to compile a report or if someone out there wants to volunteer to help me do that, I would be very grateful because I would sure like to know, you know, what are the top five bestsellers in the Christian bookstore as we edge out of 2016? Again, I just don't have the time to do it, but I sure would like, if someone wants to take that on, I would be very grateful phoning around and and finding that information out. So let me know. Well, speaking of counteracting all the bad books, (laughs) my guest today wrote an incredible book. It is called The Sherith Imperative, subtitled Empowering the Remnant to Overcome the Gates of Hell. How exciting is that? It is, my good friend, Dr. Michael Lake. Welcome back to the program, sir. It is such a pleasure to have you back on. It's so good to be back with you today. This new book, out this week, available now as a matter of fact to order. I'm really excited about this as a follow-up to the Shinar Directive, as if that wasn't good enough. What prompted you, Dr. Lake, to write this newest book? I think it's not enough just to know what the enemy's doing. And uh, I mean, even when I, I teach at prophecy conferences, you know, it's we spend so much time laying out what the enemy does, but there, there has to be counterintelligence. There has to be a counter strategy to overcome uh, everything I see in the word of God. We, we're, we're supposed to be overcomers. And I, I think even though, you know, hell has this directive with the Shiner directive, heaven has to respond. Now, Sherith is Hebrew for the remnant. And there's an imperative in the last days that that when I read both the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, I see that God has a people that are going to raise up in his power like no other generation before them. And that that's what I see this when this book is the beginning of helping to prepare God's remnant to be that last day army to bring in the harvest for the kingdom of God before the Lord returns. Well, and I've always liked this term you used, and you used it last year on a show, and I thought this was so good. I data banked that in my brain. You said, you know, God is not looking for a D team. He's looking for his A team for the final showdown, really, isn't he? Absolutely. You know, when you, you look at all this, all everything that's gone on, when we, when we get into the book of Revelation and the unfolding of end times, Lucifer's bringing his A game. I mean, the, he's bringing back Nimrod as the son of perdition. Uh, we're going to see the return of the Watchers. Uh, you know, if we could, if we could actually, God would open our eyes and we would see what the Valley of Armageddon would look like when the Lord returns. 
I, I don't think Spielberg, Lucas, there's not, there's not a, a talent in Hollywood that has a big enough imagination to see what that supernatural end time army against God's going to look like. Now, do you think God is going to uh, allow that to occur without the kingdom of God responding in like force? Well, no, I think that you cover so much incredible information. Now, folks, this is a must-have book. And, of course, the information's linked there on the bio today. You must get this in your book arsenal. I want to get into a question that hasn't really had much discussion, but tell the listeners, Michael, what really happened when Lucifer fell and sort of that whole force he created to fuel his kingdom? What happened at the fall? You know, and I look at this as a as a militaristic point of view. If you're going to go against an enemy, you have to understand what their supply line is. And so as I begin to take this thing apart, I begin to realize that something happened in the heart of Lucifer. The Bible says that when he fell, he used those five I wills to try to create some type of pseudo uh, grace that would facilitate his ascension. But what it did is it took the anointing that the Almighty had given him and it had corrupted it into a force called iniquity. Now, in Hebrew, that, that eval in Hebrew literally means there's it, it, what transformed on the inside of him was this violent injustice and opposition to anything associated with God. And I began to realize as I studied the Word of God, that is the very thing that empowers the entire kingdom of darkness. When the Apostle Paul talks about principalities, powers, you know, and, and uh, rulers and, and all this in, in Ephesians, the very last one, it doesn't really talk about a person. It talks about spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And what I literally believe that is, is in the second heaven, there's this river, because he, he always tries to imitate what God has. There's a river of this iniquity that empowers everything the kingdom of darkness is doing is flowing in the second heaven, trying to affect humanity. Wow. Well, what part did humanity have to play in Lucifer's plans? Well, let's look at this for a minute. Number one, you know, God is all-powerful, which means when, when he created the entire universe out of nothing, he stood in eternity, and he created all, all uh, 12 dimensions, all three heavens. It didn't reduce his, his power or his strength at all. I mean, it, you know, even on the seventh day when he rested, he didn't rest because he, you know, became tired. He did it as an example for us. And so the Almighty is unlimited in power, but Lucifer is very limited. And now he's now he's trying to empower this kingdom based upon that which is only drawn out of him. And you bring in, you know, Isaiah and Ezekiel's uh, visions of the fall of Lucifer. God even said, I'm going to put a fire in the midst of you that's going to devour you. So now it's not only limited, but God's causing it to burn out quicker than it normally would. And so when you look at humanity, when he got Adam and Eve to sin, they became infused with the iniquity force. We call it the sin nature. But because we're of earth, we produce after our own kind. And so when man sins and yields to that iniquity force, we can receive, it's like receiving seed is that it's planted in us, but yet he's, re he's receiving a harvest from man sinning in the earth, and he can draw from that and power his kingdom. Well, and this kind of ties into this as well. In your book, you state that the fall of the immortals may have been 
progressive, which is really interesting, instead of, as I think most people think that they all fell when Lucifer did. What's your reasoning behind that concept, Dr. Lake? Most of the time when we talk about that, they always quote the book Revelation that says when the dragon, you know, there's this conflict in, in heaven uh, between the dragon and, and Michael the archangel, and he draws one-third of the angels with him when he uh, descends in, into earth. And so everybody says, well, that this has to be a, um, a parenthetical verse referring back to what Isaiah and, and, and so forth had said. But when you really look at the scriptures, everything in the book of Revelation is linear. You know, when you, when you get to that one section, a kung fu flashback just doesn't work. And so when you really look at, you know, the Nehesh in the garden, which I, I prove in my book, is not Lucifer. It was a, an entity called the Nehesh. It was a seraphim. Lucifer is a cherubim. Each one have distinct roles, even in heaven before the fall. And so you begin to see uh, the you see the the seraphim, this this flaming serpent fall in the garden. Then you see the watchers fall at Mount Hermon. We get Genesis chapter six. Uh, I think the principalities fell at the Tower of Babel. Even the Apostle Paul told women, you know, and people think it's, you know, a little doily on, on a woman's supposed to wear on her head, but it's talking about a spiritual covering, have a spiritual covering for the sake of the angels. And so, there, it's, you know, it's referring back to what we know in Genesis 6 and so forth. I think when we get to Revelation, what we're talking about is, is that Lucifer and his, and his uh, hellish counsel, compared to God's divine counsel, have been doing things in the second heaven. And we, we get to a place in God's plan that Michael does not come down out of the, he does he does not fight him in the third heaven. He fights him in the second heaven and then casts them into our dimensional reality so that all humanity gets to see the very things that they've been worshiping. How do the mystery religions tie into all this, Dr. Lake? The mystery religions have been seeking uh, to really learn how to use this iniquity force. In fact, when you go back and you read the book of Enoch, when the watchers came down and they, they married, you know, the, the women not only produced the, the giants, but they taught them something called sorcery. And it was how to reach into second heaven realities to tap into a power that was greater than anything they had on earth to begin to manipulate man and to corrupt the hearts of men. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, Manly P. Hall in the, in the Lost Keys of Freemasonry refers to it when he says when, when a, a Freemason masters his, his uh, let, me, let, me, let me just read the quote here. It says, when the Mason learns that the key of the warrior on the block is the proper application of the dynamo of living power, he has learned the mystery of his craft. The seething energies of Lucifer are in his hands, and before he may step forward and onward, he must prove his ability to properly apply energy. And so that's the whole purpose of Freemasonry. But you also get into morals and dogma. And I actually think this is where George Lucas pulled his concept of the force that's in Star Wars. Yes. Listen to this. There is, uh, there is in nature one most potent force by means where a single man who could possess himself of it and should know of it to direct it could revolutionize and change the face of the world. This power is known to the ancients. It is a universal agent whose supreme law is equilibrium, whereby if science could but learn how to control it, it would be possible to change the order of the seasons to produce night, the phenomenon of day, and to send a thought in an instant around the world to heal or a sleigh at a distance to give our words universal success and make them reverberate 
everywhere. And so they have known that there was this force that all the ancients sought how to really tap into that into that iniquity force to begin changing the world. And and Hollywood is using it and all the stuff they're doing. Uh, politicians use it. You know, it's interesting the way that the election went in America now a year ago. Uh, back in, in October of last year, I was on Hagman, Hagman, a lot of different shows. And I said, listen, guys, start asking God to forgive the sins of the Luciferian elite. Forgive the sins of those in, involved in, in, in the ancient mystery religions that could affect the election. Begin asking God for everything hidden to be revealed. Did that a year ago because that that would begin to reduce the iniquity force that there's the very thing that they use to manipulate populations and to win elections and to do all these things. And my goodness, have we had not had one of the wildest rides in any electoral uh, cycle ever in America. Boy, it has been. And, and it's not over yet, is it? Doesn't look no, like. It's, no, it's not. And, and at the same time, believers have, uh, I, I think with this election, we probably had more believers around the world praying about this one specific event than I think any time in history. Yes, I agree. And you know what I find staggering is this acceleration of evil all around us. And I guess that really does tie into the Shinar directive. We really know the plan of the Son of Perdition. But I guess would you say that this new book, Sharif Imperative, is kind of a part two of the Shiner Directive, would that be fair to say? Well, what what I've done is, you know, the, the Shiner Directive is the problem. Uh, the Sherith Imperative is the per- first part of a multi-book series on giving the solutions and empowering the remnant to stand up against it. Well, you know what I love, and I'm a big fan of this, of course. Obviously, when Jesus commissioned us to go out, one of the things that, in addition to preaching the gospel, you're healing the sick, laying hands on the infirmed, you know, casting out devils. I love the spiritual warfare aspect of that. Can you touch on that? If you don't understand the dynamic of the iniquity force, Sheila, you can't do spiritual warfare. Yeah. Uh, you know, you and I have both seen it, and this is actually, I've, got, I've already got uh, my, my third book and my fourth book are already being in the process of being written. One is on understanding the kingdom. The third is really understanding spiritual warfare and unlocking the neshek or the armory from within. And if you still have sin in your life and you have open doors, if the enemy still has access to you and you begin doing spiritual warfare, you get your lunch eaten. Yeah. And you and I have both seen a lot of people have done that because we've not been taught. We don't understand the dynamic of the warfare that we're involved in. We don't understand how the enemy operates. And we really, uh, sad to say, we don't even understand how the kingdom of God operates. You know, it, it's like God wants us to be able to have, you know, one of those big mini guns or, you know, a, 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 you know an M60 or an M50 big bad machine gun that can really tear apart the enemy. And for the most part, most of the body of Christ is excited when God upgrades them from a from shooting spitwads to a BB gun. Well, you mentioned iniquity force there. Now, what's the connection, Michael, between the iniquity force and the son of perdition? I think it, it's actually going to empower him. When you look at uh, the apostle Paul was 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 teaching the young church. He said, "Now listen, there's this there's this son of perdition coming, and he he connects it with the mystery of iniquity." And then we get into the restrainer, 
And so many have, have, you know, had, have, have done guest theology because you take it out of context. Uh, you can't say the church is the restrainer. You can't say Michael is the restrainer. You can't even say the Holy Spirit's the restrainer because they're nowhere even implied in English or in Greek in, within, within those scriptures. But what he's sharing is that there's this uh, iniquity force, this mystery of iniquity that's working. And it, it, if you understand occult working at all, iniquity becomes a satanic incubator mm. or a satanic womb. That one of the things to prepare the stage for the Antichrist to come on the stage is they have got to reduce righteousness in the earth and they have got to elevate iniquity at drawing from all these human batteries that have rejected the way of God and they're, they're lining themselves up with, with the mystery religions and the kingdom of darkness. And the more people that they can get sinning, the higher that level becomes. And I actually think it's Lucifer that's restraining because he's not going to allow a premature birth. Or I mean, this is his final, final showdown. And so he, he knew that, that Nimrod came on the scene too early before. There were a lot of things he didn't have in place with his war against God. And so, in, so this very last shot, that the Antichrist, as a womb, restrains the baby from being revealed until the time is right. Right. Interesting. Knowing what time we're in, knowing the lateness of the hour, there's a lot of people that are of the school of believe that the Antichrist is alive and well and ready to come on the scene. What is your thoughts about that? Well, one of the things that we have been seeing, and uh, we've been sharing this now for about a year, uh, that prophetically what we have seen is 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 if god's people would wake up and begin to pray it, it's almost like there's a loop of some extra time and i don't know if that time is a year uh it could be 10 years 15 years it could be six months depending upon our response to it but because god's people have awakened they're fasting they're praying they're start they're, they're actually beginning to do what they should have been doing all along that we're positioning ourselves, we're going to cause iniquity to reduce in the earth, and it's going to allow us to get that final harvest in before the Lord comes. And so I think because of what we have seen in the last year, I mean, God has revealed so much behind the scenes that that what's going on in the halls of politics is Satanism. That, that that's how they're doing so much of what they're doing, and God's people are now beginning to ask forgiveness of those sins and to begin to vote against it, and their eyes are beginning to open. And because of that, I think we have some more time. But at the same time that I share that, it's not for us to sit down and say, okay, I, okay I, I've got a little bit more time. I can go back in my easy, you know, my, my lazy boy recliner. This is going to be our finest hour if we do this right. Well, yeah, I hope you're right because I'll tell you what, the stuff that's coming out now on the Podesta, pedophilia, the Pizzagate, the spirit cooking. I mean, this is one mishmash right straight from the pit of hell, isn't it? It is, and I think it's really just the tip of the iceberg. You know, we have, because of our, our confrontation with the occult years and years ago, uh, we knew that the uh, uh, the pedophile circles and the and the drug circles are basically controlled by the by the the Luciferian Brotherhood. That's how they make the majority of their money, as well as that's how they trap politicians and and those in power to bring them into their circles. And so it, it it's 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 exciting to see that it's being revealed. Uh, we've been getting reports that uh, some different agencies have been moving and rescuing some of these kids. 
and uh, it it has it has brought rejoicing and and tears of, of gladness that these some of these kids are getting rescued out of this junk. Well, we need to be binding these devils that are harming these children, and really for you know asking God to really expose the underbelly of this because this is nothing short of insidious. Now, I want to ask you this question. You describe in your book here a temporal paradox in which God uses time itself against the kingdom of darkness. What do you mean by that? One of the things I try to do in my book is I try to um, integrate superstring theory with the Bible. And so, you know, superstring theory says that there are 10 dimensions. Well, I add an 11th one that I call dimension zero which is where hell, Tartarus, it's an area uh, of incarceration that has no expression within any dimensional reality, so it's dimension zero. When, when God, on the very first day, he said, light be. Now, if you read the Genesis text, he doesn't create the sun and the stars, and the moon and the stars, until the fourth day. So that's a fourth day reality. But yet on the first day, what God created was the speed of light, which is directly connected to time. And so on the first day he created time, there couldn't be a first day until he created time. And time is that temporal dimension that is laid over the top of all the the 11 dimensions. And what's neat about that, number one, 12 is the number of divine government. So God places divine government. Now, could you imagine, you know, here you are, you know, you're, you're a fallen cherub. You're beginning to gather power. And all of a sudden, God puts this limiter on you called time. While God fills all time and space, the moment that God said, light be, his omnipresence filled like a glass the beginning of time and the end of time and everything in between. But yet he forces Lucifer and all of his kingdom to travel linear time the exact same way we do. Speaking of evil forces, Nimrod himself, he learned to build cities that aligned with the principalities and powers, but in the second heaven, correct? The second heaven, because that's where the principalities and powers uh, dwell. And I, I think that he began to commune with them. When he became a gibberim, the rabbis literally said he became a giant in the Septuagint. Uh, I believe it opened him up to higher spatial dimensions that he could sense and perceive and commune with these things. And it, and that it, they taught him how to line out city structures as he began to build Babylon, to line up with their power. Uh, Washington, D.C. is laid out much the same way. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the, some of the research that I've done connected Walt Disney that him and Von Braun got together and were planning cities of the future that they believe not only could harness that power, but control the principalities and powers. And you see that concept in the rotunda in Washington, D.C., where you have the apotheosis of George Washington. Tradition teaches us that, that when God caused the languages to be split, that humanity was split into 72 tribes, which lined up with the 72 principalities and powers that had aligned themselves with Nimrod in, in, uh, in Babylon. But when you look at the way that they have designed that, each star, which is one of those principalities, is in a circle, and then they've placed them within a circle. And what that means in esoteric understanding is they're declaring that they have figured out a way not only to tap into the power of those principalities, they're being audacious enough to say, now we control the principalities. 
Well, and Nimrod really is sort of the progenitor, the poster boy, really, for transhumanism, too, isn't he? He is, and I, I think when you look at everything that was going on uh, at the Tower of Babel, uh, I think one of the reasons that the probably that the the elite feel that he failed was because the Watchers were incarcerated, and you know that's one of the things I'll lay out in my first book is they've been systematically they they begin to be released around the turn of the 20th century. Uh, I think we see the last four of them that are under the Tigris Euphrates River that are bound up that are released during the Book of Revelation. Uh, but so the, you know, you had to bring them in to empower him. So they, uh, one of the things that we have seen that they have pushed so hard since, since the releasing of the watchers is to bring about the technology that Nimrod could utilize to not only control humanity, but maybe even, uh, use it as a weapon against God. Well, and I love the fact that when you talk about a weapon against God, in this final showdown, there is an empowerment coming, though, for God's remnant. This is really what your book is talking about. His share wreath really is that empowerment, isn't it? It is one of my favorite scriptures in all of Daniel. And it talks about when the Antichrist is at his zenith, that he cannot accumulate moral cult or worldly power than that point uh, in the book of Daniel. And then God throws this right in the midst of it. Yet there are those that know their God, and that word know in Hebrew means to be absolutely fallen in love with passionate, almost like a, a passionate romance, that, that they have fallen so in love with God and so understand God. And it says that they, that they will do great exploits. And when you look at it in the Hebrew, it literally means that they can create these exploits almost on demand. And that's the remedy. It's, it's like, okay, you're coming this way. I can pray and move in God and cause a, a force to push the other way, and it's going to confound the Antichrist. And that's what I'm after. I, I want to see God's people empowered. We serve a God who is so much more powerful than Lucifer. The problem that we have, Sheila, is we don't exert the same level of dedication to move in the power of God as those in the power of darkness do to move in the power of iniquity. Well, you know, it's funny. I just said this on a show last month. I said, you know, Michael, if somebody was going to recruit you into a witch coven or a Satanist group, let me tell you, they'd be teaching you your power and your dominion and your authority the first day. But you go in a Christian church, boy, we're not being shown in today's church our power and authority. And we have power and authority over all the power of the enemy, ironically. So that's just a really interesting dynamic, isn't it? It is. And, you know, in the occult, they not only teach them that this is what you can do, they teach you step by step. These are the disciplines that you have to put into practice in your life to be able to tap into it. Yeah. We, we see that. And one of the things I bring out in the book is the Nazis really wanted bad to fully tap into this. When, in the real society, now, they would use yoga and mental exercises they would even uh, tap into sexual energy and all these different things that they were that they were using to to try to fully tap into that force and all these mental disciplines that they were using and you you see that it's now that's beginning to filter through christianity we have people saying well you know you can do christian yoga no you can't the whole process of that is to awaken the serpent within you can't do that for the glory of god yeah, awakening the kundalini spirit, that's what you're going to get when you start, you know, dealing with chakras and the pineal gland and opening. I mean, this is deeply rooted in Eastern mysticism, Vedic Hinduism, 
And let me tell you what, if Christians are doing it, Michael, that is very serious because essentially you're just opening yourself wide open to demons. We're doing all that and we give us and we give no place in our lives for the devotion that God has so outlined in his word because you know we now we can talk all day about the mystery of iniquity but here's the deal Sheila there are two great mysteries revealed in the word of God yes there is the mystery of iniquity but the other mystery in the word is the mystery of godliness mm, that's so good something you mentioned in the book and I always found this fascinating because redemption's always associated where you know sort of in the context of seed and genetics is synonymous with seed and redemption. You know, I think about references to Abraham's seed. What do you mean by three-dimensional seed, Michael? When you see in, in God tells Adam and Eve, and said, listen, there's going to be this competition between my seed and, and the enemy's seed. And when you look at how God operates, you know, Jesus even said God's word is like a seed. When, when you look at that spiritual dynamic, is it a spiritual force that is articulated within the soulish realm, and it can even begin to affect us physically? I mean, that, that same word that produced our salvation can also produce healing in the body. So there is, there is multidimensional reality that behind every idea, behind every truth or every lie, there is a spiritual force and if you allow that to be planted into your life, it's going to begin to produce. God has seed. The sower sows the word. The enemy has seed that he's constantly sowing in our lives. One manifestation of that seed was the children of the watchers. That's one manifestation. But everything that the, the mystery religions are doing and everything that Hollywood's trying to force within us, that is seed of the solical nature or the soulish nature that has a spiritual power behind it. And if you allow it to embed itself in your life, it will begin having physical manifestations on, on how that it begins to change your life or change your attitudes or cause sickness and disease and all these different things. And if we understand that, and we understand the only way to kill the enemy's seed is to repent plead the blood of Jesus over it, to reject that seed and begin placing it with the seed of heaven. Now let's switch gears. How do you see modern Christianity enfolding itself into Lucifer's end time plan here? The more that we get away from God's word, the more that we uh, get away from God's truth as, and, and living God's truth in reality, the more that we're moving in the power of the other side. You know, one of the, one of the things that, that I share in this book, and I've shared quite a bit when, when I teach, is if you entered in, supposedly entered into the kingdom, but you didn't hear the truth of sin, it didn't bring the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If that conviction didn't bring repentance, and that repentance didn't get you falling at the cross in total surrender, you're not saved. Mm. We have a lot of people that go to church every week that produce no fruit of the kingdom of God whatsoever in their lives, and they're not even saved. I, I think that if God could back us up and, and so that we could kind of see, <laughs> you know, who's who, we would actually be alarmed Oh, how little uh, the body of Christ is in the, in the world today. Well, it's these really feel-good messages that sin, you know, God looks the other way. Nothing to see here, folks, when it comes to repentance. And I think it just really has become this sort of dumbed-down, watered-down gospel that really has no power. 
And it's not surprising, Michael, that take Wiccanism, for example, one of the fastest growing religions on the planet, witchcraft religions, if our children aren't being taught all these spells from Harry Potter, it's Doctor Strange and the occult, Marvel pushing all that stuff, not surprising, you know, Disney bought out Marvel, 33rd degree Masons. And and by the way, Michael, I found this fascinating. In Doctor Strange, of course, I went to this movie with my children. I didn't know much about Doctor Strange, but I'll tell you what a cornucopia of the occult that is. Now, this is a Marvel character who's deep in the occult, and he says in an old comic book that I found, ooh, I'm going to call on the powers of Ashtar. He goes in a library, asks for the Book of King Solomon, which I found very interesting. But then you have a scene where Stan Lee does his cameos in these movies. So Stan Lee is reading a copy of Aldous Huxley's 1954, The Doors of Perception. Very deep witchcraft, idolatry, sorcery, paganism, straight occult. And the sad part of it is our children, not just learning incantations and spells in Harry Potter in even preschool, but then you've got this whole Marvel universe. DC is just as bad. Acclimating, the predictive programming, the conditioning, all ages. Because if it's not Nazi eugenics and Hydra and super soldiers in the Avengers, Captain America, again, then you have this Doctor Strange. We're talking alchemy, witchcraft, sorcery, Our children think this is all very cool stuff. Marvel's trendy. But what they don't realize is this is straight out of the devil's cauldron. It is, and then bring it in Huxley, because one of the things that he shows uh, in in his books is uh, he's basically teaching people how to use occult power to change the perception of humanity. Yeah. You know, how how to build prisons without any walls, and you actually get them to build their own prisons. That social engineering, but it, it has always been an occult practice. You know, in, in a sermon I just recently uh, did, I think it was part 30 of Understanding the Kingdom, I share that, you know, imagine you're in Babylon when Nimrod was alive. He had mind-controlled the people so much and had changed their perception of reality so much that they could take a child that they had loved for one, two, or three years and walk up and cast it into the burning arms of Molech. I, I don't, I don't, I can't wrap my head around someone who would do that. Well, yeah, sacrificing your children to Baal, Molech, and those pagan gods got nothing on Planned Parenthood selling baby body parts to the highest bidder. You've got a Moloch and Baal on every street corner in America disguised as an abortion clinic. It ties into sex magic, rituals, but child pedophilia is always a part of that, isn't it? Absolutely. And it, it's, it, I like what uh, Dr. Bill Snublin says, that it's, it's, it, when, when they do it as a part of a ritual, it's literally spiritual vampirism. Yes. They are, they are, they are literally sucking the life force and the innocence out of those children. Well, and and where we're at in time, I think it's just important because, you know, we kind of have arrived at that time spoken about by Jesus as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. The purpose was really to create these, I would say, like a slave race they could rule over. The whole mythology narrative 
is filled with these demigods, these supermen and their actions. The flood came because, of course, the whole earth, Michael, had degenerated into a a zoo, a morphology of terror and corruption, really, didn't it? It did. It. And he not only talks about uh, the days of Noah, but also the days of Lot. And there's a lot behind the story of Lot that people don't realize. Uh, the men in Lot, it wasn't just a, a homosexual affair uh, that was involved. In the occult, they know that if they can have sexual union with a fallen angel, uh, it can magnify their occult power manyfold. That's one of the reasons why the Watchers were able to teach their wives sorcery because they had this soul tie with these with these fallen angels. And so that it allowed them to tap into that. And at the highest levels of, of the, the Illuminati, when, when you get to a certain level, the only way that you can go forward is you have to marry and have sexual congress with a fallen angel. And that's part of what was going on uh, in, with Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think with the releasing of the Watchers, we're beginning to see that reoccurrence of that again today. Well, and then you have Lot, you have, again, his very incestuous lineage. He was having sex with his daughters. Yeah, and uh, doing all that out of fear, not understanding what God was doing. Yeah. How many times have we done stupid stuff instead of really to seek in the face of God? I don't think there's ever been a time in history, Michael, where evil is, there's just a confluence of it, a, a convergence, a, a real cornucopia of this, isn't there? There is, and I, I think that it's one of the things that, that I think God in his grace has been doing, because I, I think this has been you know, done all, since the beginning uh, of a lot of things with, with the Watchers and, and uh, pedophilia and everything else, and there has always been this horrific undercurrent. I think what we haven't probably seen is just how much those that are so powerful in, in the political realm, not only in America, but we're seeing the same thing happen in Europe where God is revealing pedophile rings that are involving uh, some very big wigs in the EU and in other nations. Uh, God is, for our sake, he's actually lifting off the cover saying, wake up. This is what's going on because my people haven't prayed that we've been so self-absorbed that we have forgotten that we're supposed to be the salt and the light in the earth. Uh, I like in, in um, Mark chapter 16, uh, I was listening to one preacher that uh, was, a, was a cop, and he was preaching from there. He said, you know what? He said, this, this, you know, Jesus deputized us to enforce the kingdom in the earth, and we're not doing it. We're, off, we're, we're more like Barney Fife. <laughs> well, Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because— Thou hast rejected knowledge. Really, it's you almost have to reject it. I mean, it's not like with our information age we have today that, I mean, ignorance is really a choice, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, I look at what, let's say, Isaac Newton did with the small library that he had access to. You know, in his spare time, he invented something called calculus. And here, you know, I've got a laptop that I can have several programs going, that I have access to probably about 10,000 works, that I can have it search it almost instantly. With the push of a button, I can, I can take apart the Greek and Hebrew. And it, some of these programs are free, you know, like um, ASORD, that you can download a, a, a decent library for free and begin doing your own research. And, and we have all this, and we, we choose to live by sound bites instead of digging out the wonderful gold 
that's in God's word that can change lives and, and uh, cause darkness to flee. And man, it's time for us to step back up to the plate. Boy, I sometimes wonder, can you imagine Paul with the technology we have today? <laughs> yeah, the, we, we would need a wheelbarrow to carry the, the New Testament. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to kind of go to Jericho for a minute here. Now, in your book, you kind of almost... I would say that Jericho becomes a perfect anatomy of a spiritual stronghold. Talk about that a little bit. When I begin, you know, I always look for types and shadows. One of the, one of the neatest things about God is that he'll leave his, his digital fingerprints across linear time for our sake so that we can understand both how the kingdom of darkness operates and, and how we operate. And so I was researching Jericho. And uh, it was in the Lexham Bible Dictionary. It, it just jumped out at me. It says that it was built with Cyclopean architecture. And I said, now, wait a minute. <laughs> Cyclopean architecture is pre-flood. But yet they, they date Jericho post-flood. And so I looked up on Wikipedia, and what, the, and what uh, they're finding is that the oldest foundational stones are those big monolithic stones, and then there's uh, there's also there's two different types of cyclopean stones. There's the huge monolithic ones, and there the other ones that just have all the weird shapes that it seems like they kind of just melded together. Uh, that that's a good portion of the foundation of Jericho. Now Jericho, just like we're seeing down in Peru and all the neat stuff Steve Quayle and and Timothy Albarino are discovering in in South America, is they built on the top of that. And so at one time before the flood, Jericho was a Nephilim stronghold. Do you know what demonically charged power was in that ground? Yeah. And so here you have Jericho, and, and God, when he brings the children of Israel into Jericho, he almost kind of takes them out of their way to get there. And he calls it, he says, now this is, this is accursed or this is reserved for me. You can't have anything there. It's kind of like the tithe on the promised land. But I think there was something more going on. That demonically charged Nephilim area and that stronghold is what drew and empowered everything the giants were doing in the promised land. Look how strategic God is. God brought them to a place to where that was that was the battery, that was the the occult dynamo that empowered the giants to inhabit the land and do all the things they were doing. So the first thing God does is he takes them to the very spot in which they drew their power and had them tear it down by the power of God. And when you, you look at the things that Steve Quayle talked about, how that the Nephilim had these uh, nasal cavities that could cause almost like an anti-gravity field to put a lot of those monolithic stones into place. Right. And so you have God have his people line up 360 degrees around that and loose a sound. God actually causes his people to be a harmonic weapon to dismantle what the enemy had done using their technology. Well, not just technology, but isn't it fascinating? And I think, wasn't it you and I that talked on a show one time about harmonics and resonancy and Satan's resonance was 666? Yeah, 6.66 hertz. Yeah, that was me. Um, yeah, when I when I was dealing with string theory and that the earth has a resonance because they found that when the smallest element that we know of is called a quark and there's a, there's this filament that resonates within it. And I found out that the uh, harmonic resonance of the earth, the collective resonance, is 7.83, all biblical numbers about salvation. 
In fact, if even when our astronauts go into outer space, they have to have something called a Schumann resonator that will resonate at that 7.83 hertz. If you leave that, if you, that this is one of the things that we're going to have a problem like if we go to Mars or somewhere else and there's a different resonance, it will either drive us insane or kill us. Wow. Because the, 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 the Schumann resonance, the, the harmonic resonance of the earth also causes our brains to operate at a certain, in a certain way. And as I began to research this out and, and, um, uh, Dr. Bigich up in Alaska did this and he, he proved that some of the, the psi weapons that NATO actually passed laws against is that if you broadcast at that low frequency and you can get it to resonate through the body, that it will actually sound like the voice of God right between your ears. Wow. Because your brain can receive 7.83 hertz. Well, I, I found out that the spectrum is about 6.2 to about 9.7. Uh, so, you know, Lucifer can't quite match the, the resonance of God's voice. And so very possibly it's 6.66 hertz is the resonance of his voice. When you look in the, the book of Revelation, there's not only the mark of the beast, there's the mark of God. Because I believe it's the mindset and, and those that are walking with Almighty God and have renewed their mind to the Word of God are resonating with the voice of God in the kingdom of God. Those that have rejected God but have followed the God of this world, little g, that their minds are completely in tune to his voice and his power in the earth. And then the secondary manifestation is the mark of the beast. Well, and what we're up against and what we're certainly coming into here there's kind of some components that are very important. Fasting, prayer, fasting is getting to be a dying art, and that's huge. Personal holiness, all of these really tie into how we're going to succeed in the days to come as to what the remnant is going to have to do to have great success in these last of the last days. And when I say great success, I mean overcoming the enemy. Absolutely. You know, when you look at the times of Jesus, the average citizen of Israel fasted a minimum of two days a week. That was a natural part of their spiritual discipline. And in fact, Jesus' disciples, at, when, when he was walking the earth, where the people were having problems that your, your disciples never fast. No, now John, you know, John the Baptist's disciples are fasting, uh, all, all, the, all the Talmudim all throughout Israel fasting, but your guy, you guys aren't, and they didn't have to because they were walking with God in the flesh. And he said, now one of these days I'm going to leave, and then, and then they're going to be fasting a lot. Uh, there's something about the dynamic of fasting that it, it causes us to be more in tune with heaven. It also adds power to our prayers, and it, it's, it's, uh, I, I think what it does is it, it helps. It's the process of personally putting our carnal nature into place, saying, you don't control me. I choose to live by my spirit man, not by the cravings of my flesh, and therefore I crucify the cravings of my flesh and put that down so that I might hear from God. And so I, I think that's a discipline that we're going to have to follow. But I think holiness, when, when you look in the book of Ephesians, before the Apostle Paul ever gets into the armor, and it's the armor of God, okay, he's, he goes into this whole long teaching of putting off the old man and putting on the new, putting off the works of darkness, putting on, uh, putting on Christ, 
And that's talking about personal holiness of putting paganism aside and all that stuff aside, of, of disciplining your life to live according to the instruction of God. And then, and only then, does he get into the armor of God because God's armor will not go where the character of Christ has not been established. Well, and in the waning moments, let me tell you what, fasting is very powerful and it will break yokes. And the spirit and the flesh are warring. And I'll tell you, fasting is totally supernatural. And you know what? I don't want to hear people are fasting television, fasting Facebook. No, fasting is food. (laughs) I'm serious about that. And even people that say, well, I have a health issue. I can't do it. Fasting is supernatural. And that's exactly what the devil wants you to do is make an excuse why you're not, oh, my blood sugar. No, you know what? Fasting actually makes health issues reverse. So again, very supernatural. Breakthrough is what you're going to get. You know, people say I have all these problems getting attacked. And I say, how much are you fasting? And sadly, usually not much. I'm going to challenge you to go on a one day fast a week. Try to get up to two or three days. You know, once a month, go on a three day fast. You're going to live a supernaturally powerful life. I guarantee that. Michael, in the waning moments, tell people where they can get this highly anticipated new book of yours that is officially out. If you go to kingdomintelligencebriefing.com, there's a link there that'll take you right to our online store. Uh, The online store is store.biblical-life.com. You can get an autographed copy for $19.95, and we'll also throw in a DVD that has my the two teachings that I did at the Rocky Mountain International Prophecy Conference last year and in, in, uh, with Gary Stearman and Tom Horn and all of them. That we have my two sessions that we were able to make available. We'll throw that in for free. Sheila, we're, we're, we're shipping it daily, and uh, I, I have filled up the back of my SUV several times this week already just taking packages to the post office, and they're saying, what on earth are you doing? I said, well, I released a new book. They said, boy, it must be popular. <laughs> and, and I hope it stays that way for quite a while. I, I think it's going to give the body of Christ a lot of answers. And it's actually going to prepare us for the next two books, the one on the kingdom and the one on spiritual warfare. Each one of these is an expanded conversation to help get us back into the word and lining up with the kingdom of God. There's so much more that God wants to do through you than you have ever imagined possible. But we've got to let go of the world and press into God to see it happen. Wow, you ended on a beautiful note, pressing into God. That is crucial for these last days. And of course, I have your information linked there today. Dr. Michael Lake, it is always such a pleasure for you to come on and share with the listeners. Thank you for your time, and do come back and see us soon. I'm looking forward to it, and thank you for having me today. Our pleasure, Michael. Folks, that was Dr. Michael Lake, the sheer wreath imperative, empowering the remnant to overcome the gates of hell. Remember the words of Jesus. Even he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And that's exciting because even though we are in a tremendous mess out there in the world, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So at least we have hope and we want to give hope to others. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal savior and you are listening to this program today, ask Jesus to come into your life and be your Lord and your savior. All other roads are dead ends. Look around, people. If that's you and you feel that you 
want to know Jesus, he is your only answer. I will pray with you personally, and I'll get you started on some next steps, because I'll tell you, we need Jesus Christ. We need Jesus. And if you're out there and you just don't know what's out there, ask God to reveal himself today. Say a prayer. Lord, if you're real, reveal yourself to me and he will not disappoint and you're on your way. Either way, you get a hold of me. My contact information is there at weekendvigilante.com. Tomorrow on the program, it's going to be very interesting. My guest and I are going to break down Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness. They're not just knocking on your door, put it that way. So if you know a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness, you might want to just have them listen to the show to see if we know what we're talking about. We will see you tomorrow. Thank you for tuning into the program. Good night and God bless.